Chapter Four of the Biography of a Prairie Girl by Eleanor Gates. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Pariah of the Prairies. The young cowbird, perched tail to windward on a stone beside the road, raised his head and uttered a hoarse cry of hunger and lonesomeness as a great black flock of his own kind, sweeping by on its way to the grazing herd in the gully, shadowed the ground about him for an instant. "'Look, see! Look, see!' he cried plaintively, rolling his eyes and ruffling his throat. "'Look, see! Look, see!' But the flock, dipping and rising in swift flight, sped on unheeding. The long summer day was drawing to a close over the prairie, and with early evening myriads of gnats and mosquitoes swarmed up from the sloughs to drink their fill on the flanks of the stamping cows. The insects offered a fat supper to the birds as they clung to the twitching hides of the cattle. So the flock was hastening to reach the gully before milking time. The young cowbird called disconsolately again and again, after the shadow of the flock was far away, making a moving blot across the darkening plains. Then, discouraged, he tucked his head under his wing, clutched the stone more tightly with his claws, and rocked gently back and forth as the soft south breeze spread his tail, lifted his growing pinions, and blew his new feathers on end. He was a tramp and the descendant of a long line of tramps, all as black and hoarse and homeless as himself. A vagabond of the blackbird world, he had, like many an unfeathered exile, only sleep to make him forget his empty crawl, and only a wayside rock for his resting place. He had been an outcast from the beginning. One day in the spring his tramp mother, too shiftless to build a home for herself, had come peeping and spying about the fuzzy nest of some yellow warblers that had built in an elder bush by the river, and finding the birds away, had laid a big white egg speckled with brown in the midst of the four dainty pale blue ones that were wreathed with tiny dots. Then she had slipped away as quickly as possible, abandoning her own to the more tender mercies of the little canary pair. It was the warbler's first nesting, or they would have known, the moment they saw a large egg among their small ones, that they had been imposed upon, and would either have pushed the interloper out, or built a second story to their home and left the cowbird's egg in the basement. But they were young and inexperienced, so they only wondered a little at the size and color of their last lay, and let it remain. The weeks had passed. Then, one day, there had been a great chattering about the warm cup of milkweed fiber and thistle-down in the elder bush, husky cheeping from the nest mingling with the joyous chirps of the mother bird, as she tilted and danced on its edge, or fluttered ecstatically above it, and from the end of the swaying twig close by had swelled the proud song of the male. The big egg had hatched. When the first nestling had freed himself from his shell and tried his long, wobbly legs, he opened a wide, gaping, clamorous red mouth above his naked body, and this set the yellow birds on such persistent and successful searches after worms that by the time the young cowbird's foster brothers and sisters were out, he had grown big and strong. So the newer babies had been squeezed from the cozy center of their warm home to a place on its chilly rim. Affairs in the nest had soon come to a sad pass. The little warblers' weak voices and short necks were not able to win the reward of tidbit claimed by the young cowbird, who ruthlessly stood upon them as he snatched his food from the bills of the yellowbirds. One by one they sickened and died, and then were pushed out into the wet grass below. After that the young cowbird had been fed faster and more fondly than ever. One afternoon, when the warblers were away foraging for the nest, the cowbird, now well feathered, had tried his wings a little, and had flown to a clump of tall weeds not far off. Alighting safely and emboldened by success, he had eluded a hungry snake that hunted him across the gopher knolls, and finally gone on to the top of the hill. When twilight came, he found a perch on the pile of tumbleweed, far from the sheltering bushes by the river. 
So the warblers, coming home late with two long wrigglers for him, had found the nest empty. They had darted anxiously about for a while, then the male had settled upon a swinging elder bush to sing a mournful song to his mute, grief-stricken mate. Their last baby was gone. When the little girl came trudging along the road that evening on her way to the farmhouse, she sat down for a moment opposite the stone on which the cowbird was perched, and after examining a sand cut that was giving her some little trouble under her little toe, she suddenly caught sight of the dumpy black ball that was moving back and forth with every gust. She leaned forward on her knees to see what it was, and crept slowly toward him until she was within reach. Then, before he had time to take his head from under his wing, she put out one hand and seized him. He was terribly frightened and struggled to get free, pushing vigorously against her fingers with wings and claws. But she only tightened her grasp as he fought, and he was soon so closely held that he could not move. She forgot her sore toe and her happiness over catching him, and started homeward on the run. As she bounded along, he watched her with his small, scared eyes. On reaching the farmhouse, the little girl put him into a rough slat cage that hung in her room, and while he stretched his cramped legs and opened his crumpled wings, she hurried to the window, where she captured a handful of houseflies. She placed them in front of him, and he retreated to the furthest corner of the cage to beat the bars in terror. But after she had hidden herself behind the headboard of the bed, he came forward and ate up the flies without stopping to take a breath between gulps. Then he snuggled down on a piece of her worn-out woolen dress and went to sleep again. Though the little girl was only five and a half years old, she had tried many times in her life, without success, to make the slack cage the home of some feathery pet. Snipes and plover, orioles and ovenbirds, bobolinks and meadowlarks, all had lived in it by turns for a few days. But the snipes and plover had gone into a decline, the orioles and ovenbirds had grown thin and unkempt, and the bobolinks and meadowlarks had eaten themselves to death. Sorrowful over so much misfortune, she longed to secure a hardy bird that would not only live in captivity, but would repay her loving care with songs. The young cowbird proved to be just what she had wanted. Every day he grew larger, plumper, and hungrier, and though he was not a songbird, his attempts at melody, made with much choking and wheezing and many wry faces, as if the countless flies he had followed were sticking in his throat, pleased her more than carols. Within a week after his capture he was so tame that he would sit on her shoulder as she walked about her room and peck at her teeth. She was certain that he was giving her so many loving kisses, but her big brothers unsympathetically explained that he thought she had some kernels of corn between her lips. It was not long before he was allowed the freedom of the sitting-room a little while every afternoon, and the little girl always sat and watched him as he walked solemnly about it, taking long steps, calling happily in his husky voice, and pecking curiously at the bright rags in the crocheted rug. This freedom worked wonders with his plumage. His dark brown head barely shone, his sable breast and back grew glossy, and his wings took on a faint, changing tints of purple and blue. His jet rudder, daily dressed to its iridescent tip by his ebony beak, was flicked jauntily as he strode about on his long black legs. On all this, alert, engaging beauty won the friendship of the farmhouse, including even that of the little girl's big brothers, who advised her to clip his wings if she wanted to keep him, for when he had once reached full size, they said, he would fly away to join the cowbird colonies up the river. But the little girl would never consent to use any scissors. Throughout the remainder of the summer, he went everywhere with her, perching on her shoulder when she drove the cattle to the meadows, riding with her on the pinto if she were sent on an errand, or walking beside her in the farmyard. He never flew far from her, and could always be coaxed back if she whistled and showed her teeth. They spent many an afternoon together on the prairie while the little girl herded, and when the cows were headed away from the wheat and were grazing quietly, 
he would leave her and fly to the back of Liney, the mule, where he would walk up and down on the broad white mark that ran from her horns to her tail and catch insects. Liney, who liked the sharp thrust of his bill where a mosquito had been stinging, was careful not to wiggle her hide and scare him away. At dinner time, he joined the little girl and shared her gingerbread. One night, just before the cows started for the milking pen, a big flock of cowbirds flew down and alighted in the midst of them, some of the birds perching upon the backs of the cattle to catch their supper. When the little girl saw the black company, she looked round for her bird, but could not tell him from the others. There were three perched upon Liney's back, and hoping that one of them was he, she ran toward the crow, calling softly and showing her teeth. But as she came close, the three flew away to their own heifer. Half weeping, she ran after them, calling still and smiling to entice him. The birds rose into the air again, this time alighting around the farthest cow in the herd. Overwhelmed with sorrow, the little girl turned back to where the cattle gad lay, holding her apron up to her wet eyes as she stumbled miserably along. But just as she flung herself down beside the whip, there came a harsh call from behind her, where the lunch pail stood. It was the cowbird. "'Look-see! Look-see!' he cried, pecking at the brown paper that held the gingerbread. Jumping up, the little girl ran to him and got him tenderly to her breast. He was so inquisitive that he soon became unpopular at the farmhouse and on several occasions all but had his neck wrung for the wrongdoing. One day he picked the eldest brother's fiddle-strings in two. Another time he was discovered digging holes in the newly baked loaves of bread that had been set in a window to cool. And again he stole hot potatoes out of a kettle on the kitchen stove. But whenever danger threatened, the little girl championed him valiantly. So time after time he escaped merited punishment, which was to have not been less than death or exile, for he was too small to whip. But one morning in the early fall he was confronted with a very grave charge, one that was, if proved true, to cost him his life or his home. The little girl's mother, on going into the kitchen at sunrise to prepare breakfast, discovered all her crocks of milk disturbed on the shelf behind the stove, on which they stood in a long yellow row, battered with milk from end to end. As she turned, very puzzled, from the shelf to the table, she saw the cowbird gravely walk about on the white oilcloth. "'Look-see! Look-see!' he cried to her, flirting his tail and blinking his eyes. Look-see! Look-see! She ran to the table and seized him angrily in her hands, certain that he had forsaken his own little pan of water to bathe in the milk. But when she had looked him over carefully, and found him dry and tidy from top to toe, she let him go, forgetting to feel the white oilcloth upon which he had been promenading, and which was spattered with milk like the shelf. Before the contents of the crocks were thrown out that morning, the little girl's mother called all the big brothers in to view the mess and by the time breakfast was over, the cowbird had been passed round, for everyone wanted to see if milk could be found on him. None was discovered, however, so the little girl was allowed to carry him away in triumph on her shoulder. For two or three mornings after that, the milk was not visited by the marauder. Then, for several days in succession, it was splashed about on the shelf, stove, and floor, and the little girl's mother was more puzzled than ever. The cowbird was no longer under suspicion, for the big brothers had not been able to fasten the guilt upon him since his feathers were always as sleek and shining as the coat of a curried horse. It was decided to poison a part of the milk for several nights and put the rest carefully in the cupboard. This was done, but though morning after morning the shelf was sprinkled as badly as ever, no dead body of cat, bird, or wild animal was ever found in the kitchen to solve the mystery. So a new plan was adopted, and tin pans were put upside down over the crocks to keep the nightly visitor out. This arrangement worked well for a week or more, then one morning there was a terrific rattling and banging in the kitchen, followed by deathly stillness. Certain that the disturber of the milk was at hand, the entire family rushed pell-mell through the sitting-room and down the entry to the kitchen door, which they flung wide open and excitedly peered in. 
On the floor lay a tin pan that had been knocked from its place, and on one side of it was a large dent where it had struck the stove in falling. The milk and the uncovered vessel was not disturbed, and there was no sign of any living thing in the room. Baffled and wondering, they returned to their beds. But the little girl, before going back to hers, remained behind a moment to look for the cowbird. At last she spied him, perched high up on the elbow of the stovepipe. He was trembling violently, and his glossy back feathers were standing out, straight on end. The neighbor woman, who dropped in that noon, made a suggestion that the big brothers decided to act upon. She declared that the kitchen visitor was a milk snake, and that one night spent on the watch without a light would prove her correct. So that very evening, the eldest brother, wrapped in a buffalo robe and a pair of blankets, sat on a bench behind the kitchen door, resolved to keep awake till morning and wait for the mysterious disturber. The rest of the family prepared for bed. After providing him with the musket, powder and buckshot, and the clothes stick, and on looking in upon him before retiring, found him sitting grimly in his corner, the musket leaning against one shoulder, while upon the other perched the cowbird. The sun was just rising the next day when the little girl's mother awoke. She was surprised at not having been aroused earlier by the noise of an encounter, and accompanied by the little girl and her other big brothers, tiptoed quickly but softly down the entry to listen. All was quiet. She pushed the kitchen door open a little to look at the crocks. They had not been molested. Then she put her head in, as she did so, the husky cry of the cowbird came from the bench behind the door. "'Look-see! Look-see!' he called, as he walked up and down the eldest brother from head to foot. "'Look-see! Look-see!' And the family, entering, beheld the eldest brother stretched upon the bench, fast asleep. He was so provoked at having been found napping that, when he heard their laughter and awoke, he grabbed the cowbird and threw him across the kitchen. The cowbird lighted upon his feet and hurt and started boldly back again. But the little girl was so frightened over his bad treatment, and running to him, took him up tenderly, and carried him to her room. He was put in the slack cage for the rest of the day, and for several weeks after that he slept in it every night. It was now autumn. The husked corn filled the cribs to bursting, the wheat lay in yellow heaps on the granary floor, and the hay, stacked high, stood along the north side of the low, sod barn in a sheltering crescent. There was little left to do on the farm before the winter set in, and the cold mornings found the family astir very late. So one raw day, when the fields and prairie without lay white with a covering of thick frost, it was after sun-up before the little girl's mother entered the kitchen. It had been so long since milk had been disturbed that she had neglected for a week or more to cover the crocks, and did not even give the shelf a glance as she hurriedly lighted a twist of hay. But as she stooped to poke it into the stove, a quavering, plaintive, raspy voice above her made her start back and stare upward. There on the edge stood the cowbird, his head drooping and his wings half-spread, but he was no longer black. From his crown to his legs he was covered with a coating of frozen milk that, hiding his glossy plumage, turned him into a woefully bedraggled white bird, while from the ends of his once glistening tail feathers hung little icicles that formed an icy fringe. "'Look-see, look-see,' he mourned, closing his eyes and lifting one stiff leg from the perch. "'Look-see, look-see!' A moment later, hearing the sound of loud laughter in the kitchen, the little girl got out of bed and ran to find out what was the matter. But when she caught sight of the cowbird on the shelf before the row of big brothers, she did not join in the merriment. Instead, she turned very white and crept back to bed again without a word, taking the cowbird with her, cuddled under her arm. When the sun stood over the farmhouse and the frost was gone from the plains, the little girl climbed upon her pony's back and, with the cowbird perched on her shoulder, started northward up the river. Her face was whiter than it had been that morning, and she had no happy chatter with which to answer him as he chirped to her gaily and leaned forward from time to time to peck at her teeth. Her ears were still ringing with her big brother's laughter, and with the pitiless command that had driven the cowbird forth to the prairies again, a wing-clipped tramp and an outcast. Straight on she rode to the river meadows where the cowbird colonies lived. 
Once there, she got down carefully from her horse, and after placing her pet gently upon a stone, took from her pockets a crust, part of a shriveled apple, a chunk of gingerbread, and a cold boiled potato. These she placed in front of him on the ground. Then she took him up, parted her lips to let him peck her teeth once more, held him against her breast for a long, bitterly sad moment, and mounting, rode away. When she was only a rod or so from him, the cowbird started to follow. But his maimed wings would not obey, and he fell back to the ground again and again. Then he walked a few steps after the retreating pony, and finding that the little girl was getting further and further away every moment, hopped upon a big rock beside the road, and called after her pleadingly. "'Look-see! Look-see!' he cried, rolling his eyes and swelling his shining throat. "'Look-see! Look-see!' But the little girl rode straight on, and never looked back to see. End of A Pariah of the Prairies